All right. So, so this evening we are in Deuteronomy chapter 14. We're going to make an attempt to go through 14 and 15. I said an attempt, but I, I'm not too sure if we're going to be able to, but uh, I think it's worth a try. Because uh, both of these chapters together as we continue through our study of Deuteronomy is, uh, is, is a, a people who are separated unto the Lord and exactly what they're doing here and how the Lord instructs them to conduct themselves um, really identifies them and, and um, sets them apart unto the Lord. From the world, apart from the world and unto the Lord. So... Um, Let's start off with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can give you thanks for everything. Your word tells us that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things that are necessary will be pro provided for us, Lord. Uh, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to trust in you, have faith, and that you will indeed provide for us as we seek first the things that pertain to your kingdom. Lord, your glory is what we seek, your righteousness in our lives, that we would truly be a people who are set apart unto you and from the world to bring you glory, honor, that we would learn to revere you and honor you in every, every area of our lives, and that we would always be willing to, to give you our very best and, uh, and do so with a joyful heart. And uh, so, Lord, teach us this evening, I pray, Father, that you would, uh, Lord, in, in teaching, Lord, that we would um, receive your word with gladness of heart, that we would apply your word to our lives, and that it would serve us as wisdom, Lord, the understanding of how to rightly apply your word in our lives, again, to your glory. And so, Lord, we commit this evening into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing upon the study, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the instructions that the Lord continues to give his people of protecting and observing their purity, uh, we saw that mainly and starting off last week as we took a look at uh, chapter 13. Uh, this, as I said earlier, it continues through this chapter, chapter 14, and into chapter 15. Um, we will see the command to avoid certain uh, pagan rituals and instructions on what God's people um, can and cannot eat. And there are certain things very specific that uh, instructions, commands that God gives in regards to animals that can and cannot be eaten. We'll also see this evening God's instruction on the tithe and the overall giving, the idea of giving that was required of the Israelites as well as God's word concerning lending and borrowing, so stewardship of finances, and how to handle those who are in need amongst God's people, and how to handle a brother that is indebted to you. And um, so we'll, we'll take a look at all of those things. And uh, in God's amazing wisdom regarding the preservation of holiness, um, we, I, I pray that we, we are encouraged. Um, this is, these are instructions, these are commands that the Lord has given to um, the Israelites in preparation, as I'm, I want to keep reminding you, in preparation to enter into, dwell, and possess the promised land. 
And the promised land is not a picture of heaven, but a picture of the abundant life in Christ. And so um, this should serve us as an encouragement to apply these truths to our lives in New Testament times to God's glory and to exercise wisdom in our own lives um, to, uh, to apply to day-to-day activities, things that we would come across and face on a regular basis. So holiness, the preservation of holiness, that is his, uh, God's people's separation from the world and unto the Lord. And then us as people, as God's people, knowing that by the obedience of God's word, that we will be blessed by God. You know that God loves to bless his children. And uh, one of the things that he tells us is, as, as you're obedient to me, I, I love to bless you and I want to bless you, right? But God also disciplines those whom he loves. And so we see that as well. Not this evening, because he's given instruction and command, but that is indeed the truth of God's character. So let's take a look, first of all, at these uh, pagan rituals for the dead that God is telling his people to avoid. Starting in verse 1, you are the sons of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves or make any baldness on your foreheads for the dead. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Just to start out, I think this sets the tone for the remainder of our study this evening. Uh, The key statement here, again, that sets the tone for the remainder of our study is found in verse 2. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. If you just keep that in mind, not only tonight, not only for this study this evening, but in everything that we do, um, in how we live our lives, it would serve us really very, very well. We begin the advancement of this idea by first addressing the manner in which the Israelites were to observe the death of one of their loved ones. First of all, quite simply, and, and it's as we read it here, uh, God reminds them that they are sons of the Lord. You are sons of the Lord, your God. With that statement, um, there, there's a lot that comes behind it, and that is they are family. They are children of God. They are people of God, a people, a nation. They are people governed by God, a people delivered by God, provided for by God, protected by God. And because of that truth, here's the response. Therefore, as God commands, do not cut yourselves. Do not shave your foreheads for the dead. I know for us today, that'd be quite odd, right? It's like, why in the world would you cut yourself or shave your forehead? I mean, we have enough problem, you know, keeping the hair that we have, right? Why shave? But, But that was something that was quite common in that day. The cutting of the body and the shaving of the forehead were pagan rituals of mourning the deceased. Jeremiah 16, 6 says, Both great and small shall die, in this land, they shall not be buried, and no one shall lament for them or cut, them, cut himself or make himself bald for them. There's other portions of Scripture in the Old Testament. Ezekiel, Micah, Amos, and Isaiah all refer to um, this, this same ritual act, uh, mourning for those who have perished. 
Still today, though, I found it uh, quite interesting that even today, um, people still practice uh, some sort of self-mutilation um, to observe or, you know, take part in the morning rite for people who have perished, who have lost their lives. Um, I was reading how some of them even go to the extent of, can you imagine doing it to yourself? Taking off just from that joint on, just taking it off. That'd be wild, right? Wouldn't it? It's like, no, that's, uh, I need that, and that would probably hurt <laughs> a lot. But that's still being practiced even today. Um, now, one thing that I want to draw your attention back to is what I told you was a key to this whole chapter in our study this evening. And that is in verse 2. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And I believe that this is not only key to God's chosen people then, but again, I would remind you, that it's also the key to God's redeemed today. We are God's adopted people, a special people. In other words, it would serve God's people well to remember that we are to remain separate from the world and separated unto the Lord. Because it's not enough to exercise our, our free will and, and you know, we're going to go ahead and separate ourselves from the, from the world. Uh, what happens is you become legalistic to the point to where you, you don't realize exactly why you're doing what you're doing. You know, it's not out of love, it's out of duty. It's something that you just have to do. You know, I don't do that because I just, I shouldn't do that and that's it. You know, it's not because of a simple response of love toward the Lord, um, having first received his love and in, in knowing his grace in our lives. So it was important for the Israelites to remember these three important truths. First of all, they were a people holy to the Lord, as we see there in verse 2. Secondly, they were a chosen people. And thirdly, they were a treasured possession of the Lord. I, I think that just those three words, holy, chosen, and treasured, is a beautiful picture of the relationship that God desires with his people. That they would understand those very words that listen you are whole you are you're separated unto myself you're chosen by me and you are treasured by me you are my possession yes but but not like you would possess a chair but but a, in a relationship i brought you to myself out of and above all the peoples on the face of the earth god chose them for himself beyond comprehension, beyond the imagination, because the more you get to know people, the more you understand exactly how depraved mankind is. I mean, you don't have to look too far to understand just how depraved mankind is, do you? Um, I know we can turn on the TV, watch the news for a while, uh, scroll through some headlines um, as far as what's going on just today, just today. Look over the course of the last month, all the things that have taken place. What mankind is really quite capable of doing. It really amazes you and it, and it helps you understand mankind is pretty bad. You know, we're wicked. Not only that, but the more you get to know yourself, 
the more you read God's word and you know your own heart, you know how you are, it just amazes. It amazes, it amazes me. God, you are, you are amazing how it is that you, you love me <laughs> in spite of who I am. And you died for me. You poured your grace out upon me. You have compassion for me. You're merciful toward me. It would do us well just as it did the Israelites to remember that they are a people holy to the Lord, chosen by the Lord, and they are his treasured possession. For you and I today, this is what God has to say to us. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so we respond with thankfulness. We respond by demonstrating and expressing our love toward God by being obedient to his word. He says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Because of this understanding, God's people are not to mourn as the world mourns, a world that has no hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, dead, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. It's different. You know, when a, a brother or sister in Christ, when a loved one who we know beyond a shadow of a doubt is a believer in Christ, it should be different the way we mourn. Today, there was a wife that was kind of in a panic. Um, and I met today, I'm talking about the hospital, and it's just, it was a difficult situation. Her husband was going in for a procedure, only 47 years old, um, not sure what was going to happen. And she was, she, she was anxious. She was stressed out. Because her and her mother-in-law were both believers, but they weren't sure about him. And she... His faith and belief in Jesus Christ is good. I don't know what that was. I didn't do anything different. So what I'm saying with that is that this wife did not have the assurance that her husband was saved. And the only reason why she was panicking, the only reason why she was stressed out and anxious was because she wanted to know for sure that her husband had made a profession of faith, that he truly, genuinely had surrendered his life to the Lord because at that point she would know that if he were to die on the operating table, that he would be in the presence of the Lord. Outside of that, she would know if at any point he had made that profession of faith because there was nothing in his life that gave evidence of that 
fact, you know? We should not mourn as those who have no hope. And that's what I'm driving to here as the Lord said, hey, listen, don't, don't cut yourselves. Don't um, shave your foreheads. Don't cause any baldness on your foreheads like the pagans do as they uh, participate in their rituals for the mourning of their deceased. No, 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 no. Listen, as the Apostle Paul wrote to the Philippians, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And it truly is. Death simply being the doorway into the presence of God's glory for all eternity. For all eternity. So we ought to not mourn as the world does. As others who have no hope. As we continue, we take a look at clean and unclean animals. We'll go through quite a few verses here. Um, verse 3 says, You shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the roebuck, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, and the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the hoof and has the hoof cloven in two and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have the hoof cloven, you shall not eat these. The camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof, but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall not touch. Of all that are in the waters, you may eat these. Whatever has fins and scales, you may eat, and whatever does not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean for you. You may eat all clean birds, but these are the ones that you shall not eat. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the bald vulture, I'm sorry, that wasn't in there. I thought I'd go along with it since it was a bearded, the black, no. So then verse 13, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, the ostrich, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl and the short-eared owl, the barn owl, and the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, and the cormorant, the stork, the heron of any kind, um, the hoopo and the bat and all winged insects are unclean for you they shall not be eaten all clean winged things you may eat verse 21 you shall not eat anything that has died naturally you may give it to the sojourner who is within your towns that he may eat it or you may sell it to a foreigner for you are a people holy to the lord your god you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk all right so an abomination. Verse 3 says, you shall not eat any abomination. And then God goes on to list the abominations. Um, to eat anything that is considered to be evil by God um, or a disgrace to God. Now, these are God's creatures. He created them. So how can they be evil? Well, in and of themselves, they are not evil, but Anything contrary to God's word is evil. So therefore, what God deems to be set apart and not to be partaken of is just that. Set apart and not to be partaken of. And if you do so, you do so in rebellion with full knowledge. And it is a trespass. And that is evil. Right? And so he's saying, hey, these you are not to eat. 
These over here you can eat. These over here no eat. Do eat, right? And so he said it very clearly. And it was nothing to be confused about. And if you acted contrary to what God's command was, it would be a disgrace because it would be an act that is dishonoring and irreverent of the lordship of God. There were specific mammals that the Israelites could eat and others that they were prohibited from eating. From those that crawled on the earth, if the animal had a divided hoof and chewed the cud, then it was okay to eat. But if it did not have this combination, if it was just a single hoof, like that of the, the horse, a horse has a single hoof, but it chews the cud, well, it's, it's deemed unclean and was not to be eaten. From the sea, anything that had scales and fins, good to eat. Had fins, but no scales, no eat, right? Scales, but no fins, no eat. Um, there's certain amazingly wild, crazy looking things, creatures that, that are in the ocean or in the water um, that are just, you, you're not supposed to eat. And uh, eels, for instance, an eel, can you eat that? No, you cannot eat that. I was thinking about sharks. Uh, they're considered not kosher, right? Because they don't have scales. They have fins, but they don't have scales. Um, do they have bones? You guys know this? This is just trivia. Do they have bones? No. They have cartilage. And, uh, but, but shark is really good. It is really, really good. <laughs> they're like, it's like steak. I remember um, when I was going to a school in Panama City, Florida, uh, I used to go to the pier and fish all the time, and I'd catch these sharks, uh, black tip shark. And um, so I'd, I'd bring it home. I'd, I'd cut out the, I'd eat it. It wasn't just for fun and throw them back. But I'd take out the, um, the teeth and put it up on the two-by-four of the fence that was running along the backside of the, the house. And then I would cook it with a little bit of butter, some lemon pepper, put it in tin foil, and put it in the barbecue. Oh, man, just excellent. But the Jews, the Israelites, could not eat those. <laughs> so they didn't know what they were missing, right? But, but those, are, those are the standards that God had set. Um, and he is the one that set the standard. These are the ones that you could eat. These are the ones that you cannot eat. Shellfish, unclean. Catfish, unclean. Whales, dolphins, unclean. From the fowl of the air. There were some that were deemed clean and others unclean. The specific birds that were named are those that were predators or those that were scavengers. Those are the two basically, the basic groups that were covered as those are unkosher. Those are animals that you cannot, birds that you cannot eat. Um, when you look back at what knowledge we have today about predators and scavengers, um, then you begin to understand um, it's just God's amazing knowledge, right? It's perfect. But you think about like scavengers. They go from carcass to carcass eating what is dead. You know, there's, uh, you know that something that is dead um, can have disease. And so they can go from one animal to the next. And then you go ahead and kill that animal and you yourself can become sick. Um, there are predators. The predators... 
um, eat the raw meat along with, where's the life? It's in the, in the blood. And so, um, I mean, you, you look at it, it's more than just, hey, these are things that you cannot eat. Um, the, it's, it's more than that to preserve um, God's people and to help them to multiply and to really uh, be as numerous as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky, right? Um, winged insects, they were not to be eaten. Anyone like eating winged insects? Have you ever eaten a, um, a chocolate-covered cricket or grasshopper? Ant? No? You haven't. Wow. No, okay, none of you guys have been dared? See, nothing, really. Boring. All right. <laughs> I dare you, Eric, to eat. <laughs> Those that have died naturally. Um, this was interesting. So God was telling them, hey, anything that's died naturally, even if it's clean, you're not to eat of it. But a foreigner, a sojourner, someone who's coming through, who's with you momentarily, oh, they can eat of it. No problem. <laughs> or you can sell it to a foreigner. You know, that's no problem also. But you, you, no. You, you are not to eat uh, any animal that has died naturally. Um, the other thing here, it, it looks like it was just kind of thrown in, No. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Uh, you know, after all these, you know, things that crawl on the earth, that uh, swim in the sea and fly in the sky, you know, then we have this, right? You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. What in the world is that? It may seem strange to us today, but it was com a common practice of the pagan nations. It was a pagan fertility ritual. And God was again commanding his people not to imitate the pagan people's practices, not to adopt them for themselves. And so we have, it's kind of like a bookend right here. We have the beginning, do not cut yourselves, do not make yourselves bald for the dead. And here at the very end, don't participate in pagan rituals of fertility. Because it was common for them to practice this by boiling the young goat in its mother's milk. So don't do that. And, other, and, and they knew this very well. They knew exactly what God was talking about. Do not do as the world does. Be a people who... Hello. All right. All right. Okay. We're back. Sorry, guys. This is like a whole new system and... Oh, man. All right. We'll figure it out. Okay. 
I want to draw your attention to some very Do not part the hoof. Um, in, this is in closing this section here. It says unclean for you. Um, in the middle of verse 8, again, it's repeated as he continues to, to speak, saying this is unclean. It's been unde deemed unclean for you. And then in verse 10, at the very end, it says that the, the ones that do not have fins and scales, you shall not eat. It is unclean. For you, and again in verse 19. So four times, and all winged insects are unclean for you. Um, you know, sometimes these things can be illustrated. And he the chosen person, the person who is supposed to set apart. food different provision different Verse 22, as we continue, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine and of your oil and the firstborn of your herd and flock that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. S stop there. We're going to stop there because I think those two verses... Um, 
again, just set a really good foundation to fully understanding the reason why the Lord was commanding his people to tithe. This is um, the yield that was produced. In other words, it's the income. It's not the overall um, possessions, everything that they own, 10%. It was that which was produced and was brought in. From that, he said 10%, 10% of your income comes in. It's to be taken to the tabernacle. That is the place, the designated place that God had set apart to bring the tithe. And a portion of it was to be eaten before the Lord in that place. Um, this is beautiful because it's a ceremonial meal that was partaken of and was a time of communion with the Lord. It was fellowship. It was what God desired most of all with, uh, you know, with his people and for his people is that they would learn to have communion with their God, the Lord. And so he would have them bring the tithe. They were to bring They weren't to assign this to anyone. They were to bring the tithe and then and then enjoy part of that tithe in this time of fellowship with the Lord. And the rest was given to the priest. Now, here's the key. Why were the people to tithe? Well, verse 23 is very clear that you may learn to fear the Lord, your God, always. Not sometimes, but always fear the Lord. Now, does this mean that bad things would happen to God's people if they did not tithe? And therefore, they should be afraid of God's wrath. Is, is that the meaning of what God is saying there? And the answer is uh, no, it, it's it's not that. It was so that they would learn how to put God first in their lives. It was to learn how to honor God and have reverence for the Lord, their God. You want to test someone's love for God and trust of the Lord's provision? Uh, see, if they are willing to give sacrificially to the Lord's work, giving regularly, proportionately, and off the top of what's earned, then you can see someone who is really trusting the Lord. There's no question. This is exactly what we do, who we are. We love the Lord. We express it by how we are generous toward him. We give joyfully, willfully, freely, and thankfully. We just give to him. We trust that, yes, he, you know, I, I know we, we say, you know, he doesn't need it. Well, he certainly doesn't need anything. But what he does tell us is that we are to be generous people. He was telling his people, this is, this is what you are to do so that you may learn to fear the Lord, your God, always. To always keep him in the foremost of your thoughts, that he would have the best place in your life. That you would be reminded of how it is that God has provided for you. Why? That you may learn to honor and to revere the Lord your God with trust and faith in his provision and with thankfulness for what you do have and to further the work that he is doing. That's why. Now, we're, we're going to talk more about this a little bit later, but this is. This was what they were to do with their income, and he gives the reason why. 
Verse 24. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe when the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there. Then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses and spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves. And you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. Too far. Um, the tabernacle. It's, it's too far. It's too far to bring a tenth of everything that has been produced. It, it's just, it's a, it's a lot. And so what the Lord is saying, hey, listen, there is something you can do. At that point, if it's too much to bring, it's, it's too far, then you can basically exchange it for money. You can sell those the, the your tithe. You can sell it. And then when you do come to the tabernacle, you can purchase whatever you desire and then enjoy part of that with me in fellowship again. And that really what he was is what he was driving to them to is to enjoy that fellowship, to revere him, to honor him and to bring the tithe. He says, but if it's too far, it's OK. We can make provision. This is really important for you to understand is what he, he was telling them and what he's telling us today. This is really important for us to understand, for us to apply in our lives. It's still required. It's just you have to do it a little differently. That's all. But come and have fellowship with the Lord in the place that he has set aside and has told his people that he would dwell among them. Again, a portion of it was to be enjoyed with the Lord and the rest given to the priest. Uh, God was ensuring that the Levitical priesthood was not neglected. Even remember that they had no portion among the people. Their portion was the Lord, right? And so therefore the people provided for the Levitical priesthood. Even this was something that really struck me as something that God was willing to um, make provision for. And allow for somewhat of, of a modification. Why? Because the the idea and the standard was was still there. It's just that he considered um, distance, and he considered how distance, along with the amount, would sometimes be too much. So he said, "This is what you can do to take care of that. Sell it, bring the money, purchase something there at the tavern uh, around the tabernacle to offer." to the Lord as your tithe. We also see here a three-year tithe. Verse 28, as we continue, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may, may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. This was not, by the way, a separate tithe, but this was to be done at the with the tithe at the end of the third year. Um, this was their basically their annual tithe. 
within the local town, not the tabernacle. We're talking about within the, the town that they lived in. They were to bring the tithe and gathered all together in one place. And with that, they were to serve each other. The Levites is on that list. The sojourner, that is the one who is with you, but is actually not of your people. The sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. These were the people that were to come eat and be filled with this tithe of the produce at the end of every third year. The Lord in his wisdom made sure that those in need were well taken care of. They weren't left behind. They weren't forgotten. They were taken care of. And God was commanding them to take care of those in need. And they, in turn, he said, would be blessed. Now, one of the questions that we ought to ask, because it's a term that we use quite often as Christians, right? It's blessed. I'm, how are you? I'm blessed, right? God bless you. And pray for God's blessing upon me. But what exactly do we mean by that? When God blesses his people, he does so for specific reasons. And the blessing is an empowerment. It's God's favor that he bestows upon his people, those whom he desires. Um, God's blessing, as we see here, as they are obedient to take care of those who are in need, would to further their production, um, their blessing of uh, yielding in the field, and continuing to produce um, everything that is necessary, not only for them and their families, but also for those who are in need, those who were Levites, who were serving the Lord, the sojourner, those who were passing through, uh, those that were fatherless, and the widows of the people. And so we see here the idea, the understanding of the commandment of the tithe. Now let's, let's talk about the tithe in New Testament times. Um, is the tithe commanded in the New Testament? I'll just throw it out there. Is it commanded in the New Testament? You won't find it. It's not commanded in the New Testament. Um, when was the idea and concept of the tithe established? Was it in the Mosaic Law? Or was it before? before as before even the mosaic law um, it was practiced not only before the law of moses came but also practiced and never abolished after jesus came it was never abolished even though it's not mentioned it's never taken out um Let's turn in our Bibles. Keep your finger there, and then we can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I want to go over a few verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Okay. So this, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, which is Sunday, 
Each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany accompany me. So there's that. If you're jotting down notes, also um, write down 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the whole chapter, by the way, the whole chapter is about sowing and reaping, giving, generosity, joyfulness, thankfulness, freely. All of those things are seen there. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The principle of giving is found throughout the New Testament. Giving is to be regular, planned, proportional, private. It's not to be announced like, uh, I'm wonderful. I, I know I, I gave a lot. No, it's to be private. It's to be private. It's also to be generous. It's to be given freely and cheerfully. Or, in other words, with joy and not with regret or with reservations. It's like when the bag goes by and you put the money in there and you're like, that was not, well, I don't know if I should have given that, you know. (laughs) You should just go back into the bag and get get what you need out, you know, because that's not the way we should be giving to the Lord. Not at all. So the question is, what do we do with the tithe? If it's not something in the New Testament that that has been, you know, said and this is what we ought to observe um, according to the law, this is what we should do. We should all. You know, remember that it was never abolished by Jesus or anyone else. But the principle of giving was taught throughout the New Testament. So where do we start? That's a good question. Where do we start? Well, just to start, uh, well, a good goal would be 10%. Let's get to 10%. For some, 10% is nowhere close to what you should be giving. Because it's still leftovers. It's still something that wouldn't affect you at all. Some of you give 10% and and it's just like it's like your drop and change, you know, into uh, some uh, musicians case. You know, it's kind of like it's no big deal. Right? For others, 5% may be huge, maybe just absolutely too much. So you have to determine in your heart. You have to really come to a decision, a willful decision, a joyful decision, a decision that was come to freely by you. If it's 5%, you give 5%. Don't give what's left over. If you and your wife, if you're married, have decided we're going to give 5%, then when when the check comes in, it's your income. You take a check made out for 5% of that. And you make it, that's the Lord's. That's not mine. 
we've decided, we've purposed in our hearts, this is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to give 5%. I regretfully tell you this. I remember there was a time when uh, I remember looking over what we had given um, years ago. Um, just last year. No, I'm just kidding. Years ago. Years ago. And it was like, it, it was literally, it was like 20 bucks here, 15. It, it was like dropping change into, into the bag, into the offering. And I look, I look back at that time, and I'm like, that reflected where my heart was. I can tell you that with certainty. That reflected where my heart was. That reflected just how serious I took the Lord. And that I, I hadn't really thought of exactly how, how much do we give to him? You know, how much do we give to the work of the Lord? Everything, you know, what he's doing. And, and I can still see that in my mind. It was like the contribution report, and it came back, and, I'm, and, and I think about it years later, and I'm like, man, that was, that was shameful. That was shameful because for me, it, it wasn't sacrificial. It wasn't anything. It was just giving him kind of the leftovers, and it truly was giving him whatever it was that we could at that point. That should not be the heart of God's people. The problem with money is that it tends to be the very thing people desire most to have and desire least to give. To do anything with for anyone else. And so that, that's what brought me back to that, that place, that, re, that reminder the, that the Lord gave me in regards to what I used to give. It's like saying, you know, having an attitude like that is like saying, how little can I give and still be okay with the Lord? How, how little can I give? And it's not just with money. It's with our time, talent, and treasure. How little can I give to the Lord and, and, and still be okay with him? That's not the attitude. That's not the perspective that we should have as Christians because just, just think about this, Right? This is no guilt trip. This is simply the truth of the matter. What did it cost God to redeem you? Think about that. His life, right? The cross. Redeemed by the sacrifice of the Son of God. Uh, instead, we should be really coming with an attitude that we're, we're, not, we're not under the tithe anymore, let's say. We're under grace. We're not under the law. We're under grace, right? So a tithe is no longer legally required of me. We are to give cheerfully and willfully and freely unto the Lord. So we're no longer under the tithe. We can, we can give unto the Lord sacrificially. We can give more if that is exactly what the Lord has impressed upon my heart. And we are to do so with an attitude of generosity, of love and affection toward the Lord. This kind of an attitude of generosity should be reflected in every Christian. I have learned that financial stewardship and generosity is a spiritual issue, not solely a financial one. It is, it is so freeing to get to the point to where it's like, you know what, Lord, I've seen your faithfulness. I see, I've seen how you provide your trustworthiness. 
and, you know, to, to bless someone else. I'm not talking about even just the tithe at church. I'm talking about sometimes just blessing someone else, just like doing something for someone else. It's like you do so freely, joyfully, thankfully, and understanding that you're blessing this person just because you want to. It, it, it's awesome to do that. And you don't have to be a millionaire to do that. If you wait till you're a millionaire, you'll never get there. Maybe some will. I don't know. But you don't have to be wealthy, super wealthy to be generous. You don't. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, chapter 15, we are going to go over it. <laughs> but uh, but it, it, won't be, it won't be lengthy because I believe that this is very, very simple for us to go through. So let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Deuteronomy 15. And let's go over these verses here. Number one, owe nothing. Owe nothing. That's uh, not a difficult idea to possess or understand. Owe, owe nothing. Verse one, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release. And this is the manner of the release. release. Every creditor shall release what he has lent to his neighbor. He shall not exact it of his neighbor, his brother, because the Lord's release has been proclaimed of a foreigner. You may exact it. But whatever of yours is with your brother, your hand shall release. But there will be no poor among you, for the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess. If only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandment that I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. Every seven years, it's the sabbatical year. It's the year in which you forgive all debts. You release everyone who owes you money of all that they owe you. Um, they would not or you cannot demand of them anything that remains as a balance of that debt but you were to forgive any debts held against anyone. Now, this didn't apply to foreigners. So for foreigners, you can demand. This is a letter of demand. You owe me uh, this amount. You, you do continue to pay. But for your brothers in the Lord, for, for God's people, God's children, God's chosen nation, um, they were to forgive all their, their debts after seven years. This system of forgiveness minimizes the poor among God's people. In verse 4, and I do want to say in verse 4, it says there will be no poor among you. Um, but we will see in verse 11 that the poor will always be among God's people. And there's a reason for that. Um, and that is because of disobedience and failed stewardship of what God provides for some. Not all of them. But for some, it's just plain disobedience and a failed stewardship of what God has entrusted to them. That's that's the same thing that we're guilty of today. If we disobey the Lord and how to handle finances, if, if we ourselves get into heavy debt when it's unnecessary to 
to accumulate things that are unnecessary, um, then it's a failed stewardship. And we have really uh, exercised disobedience towards the Lord. Now, the Lord promised to bless them when they obeyed him. Uh, receiving God's commands and doing them. Um, he said, don't lend to too many nations and never borrow money so as to never have anyone rule over you. You know, the th those who lend to you, who you owe, they have authority over you. They have a, a ruling over you. Just try not paying them and see how quickly they bring you to the authorities. And they demand payment, right? This happens. And this happens all the time. And so what the Lord was telling him, hey, listen, don't let too many nations borrow, but you never borrow from other nations. Otherwise, they will rule over you. Generosity, being willing to forgive debts. This continues to be the idea, the principle that God is driving home with his people, acknowledging God's provision and stewarding their finances well. And again, just never allowing another nation to rule over them with debt. And I believe these are all truths worth applying to our lives today. I mean, you can go through those and, and really just they're 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 simple, aren't they? They're very simple. Think about God's wisdom, his perfect knowledge, and then apply this to our own finances in our own home, and we will do well to live uh, within our means and to not be indebted. So we have that generosity. Verse 7, as we continue, if anyone, if uh, among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart. And you say the seventh year, the year of release is near. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cried to the Lord against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Generosity. The, the, the principle continues. Do not harden your heart toward those in need. Sometimes we can be callous to those who are in need. Right. Well, you've you've done this to yourself again. Right. It's a hardening of your heart toward toward other people. And God was telling them, hey, listen, don't harden your heart toward each other. For the one who is sincerely, genuinely in need. Now I'm not talking about sometimes there's just stupidity, right? Like I said, it's just like you don't handle your finances right. Hey, listen, you're going to have to deal with the consequences. I'm sorry. That's just tough love, right? Deal with it. But I believe that he is referencing those who are genuinely they've gone through some hard times for some reason that they're just not making ends meet and and they need some help he says don't harden your heart toward those in need do not close your hand to your brother in need even if the the seventh year is coming up because remember anything that they owe you is forgiven at the end of the seventh year so here we are six and a half years into it 
and you want to borrow how much? They're like, yeah, I have it. But man, I'm not going to get much back at all. So I'm not going to give it to you. And next year at this time, see me again, and then we'll do it. And the Lord is saying, don't close your hand. If your brother is in need, give it to him. Don't take into consideration the fact that the seventh year is coming. Just give to your brother in need. Do not even have an unworthy thought in your heart is what he said. No grudges. You will be guilty of sin if you withhold from someone who is in need and you have what they need. If you are generous and help a brother in need, then you will yourself be blessed by the Lord and there shall be no want with you. That's beautiful. It's a, a generous heart. You will have no want. Even if you have nothing, you will have no want. So I'm fine. I'm fine. I, I'm just so glad that so-and-so is taken care of. I, I'm okay. I'm okay with what I have. The Lord is faithful to provide. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided, right? For you. God is faithful. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of, who are of the household of faith. So be charitable. Be charitable. Servitude. Uh, verses 12 through 18. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and uh, sold to you, he shall serve you six years, and in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you let him go free from you, you shall not let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, and out of your winepress, as the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this, this today. Let, let's stop there. Servitude. Um, this is not as we would um, understand slavery to be. Uh, the slavery, slavery that this is referring to is, is a brother or a sister who has to basically be given to maybe out of debt, maybe because they just don't have anything at that point. And so, hey, listen, I, I want to serve you. And um, during this time, uh, I have a, a place to stay. I have food to eat and I will work. I will work for my food and my shelter and my clothes, clothing that you provide for me. And I am indebted to you. But only for the time of seven years. After the seven years, it's over. It's over. You owe me nothing. And by the way, the master, the person who had provided them with shelter and food and clothing and care was to send them out not empty-handed, but with an abundance of whatever it is that they needed to get started. Uh, what, a, what a beautiful generosity amongst God's people. By this, all people will know that you are, you are my people, by the love that you have for one another, to bless each other. And this is exactly what they were doing. Now, this was something that they were commanded to do. Because God was telling him, remember when I redeemed you, when I delivered you out of the hand of Egypt. When you left, you did not leave empty handed. You left with much and you are my redeemed. How much more should you send out your brother or your sister in Christ? Well, I'd say in Christ, but your brother or sister in the Lord, right? Send them out 
with an abundance of whatever it is that they need to get a good start. Jesus was a willing servant. And as we continue, we're going to see this, uh, the following verses speak of a willing servant, of someone who, who uh, wanted to stay. Verse eight or 16 says, But if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household, since he is well off with you, then you shall take an awl and put it through his ear into the door, and he shall be your slave forever. And to your female slave, you shall do the same. It shall not seem hard to you when you let him go free from you, for at half the cost of a hired worker he has served you six years. So the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. Uh, a doulos, a, a slave who is willing to stay because he has been well off. She has been well off. She loves her master. He loves her master and decides, I want to serve you for the rest of my life. I want to I be your servant. I want to I take care of you. Well, this is exactly what's taken place. And as we see in Psalm chapter 40, verse 6, uh, for the sake of time, we can't go there, but please jot it down. Uh, Psalm chapter 40, verse 6. We also see this picture in Isaiah chapter 50, uh, verses 5 through 7. In Jesus Christ being the servant, the willing servant to do the perfect will of the Father. He was marked. And he willingly served the Father perfectly all the way to the cross. This really should be our perspective and attitude with respect to our relationship with our Lord and God. It should be. It should be our response. It's like, a, who else? Who else are we going to go to? Who else do we go for protection, for, for provision, for salvation, for eternal life? Understanding and knowing forgiveness to no one else. I, as the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 6.17, says, From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us bear the marks of our Lord and our Savior, the marks of our Master, the one whom we serve. And let us not be troubled by anyone, but simply keep our eyes fixed on him, and serve him the rest of our lives until we go home to be with him for all eternity. And then finally, giving their best. Verse 19 says, All the firstborn males that are born of your herd and flock you shall dedicate to the Lord your God, that is, sanctify, consecrate unto the Lord. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. You shall eat it you and your household before the Lord your God year by year at the place that the Lord will choose. But if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. You shall eat it within your, ta your towns. The unclean and the clean alike may eat it as though it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it out on the ground like water. So we've covered that as far as the blood is concerned. Life is in the blood. Um, it is not to be um, eaten. Uh, it, it is to be drained from the animal itself. But this this final portion is setting apart to the Lord the best, 
the firstborn. It's sanctified. It's set apart unto the Lord, devoted unto the Lord for sacrifice. The firstborn, why? Because Israel was God's firstborn. It was a reminder. We are God's uh, firstborn. As we're giving the Lord our firstborn, we are God's firstborn because the firstborn is considered also the best firstborn. Uh, it's our best. That's that's what we dedicate unto the Lord. That's what we devote to him. And thirdly, because it was a reminder for a redeemed Israel, God's firstborn was redeemed. Um, it's amazing that as we in Christ are God's redeemed it speaks of the value that we have in Christ as God sees us as the redeemed. But this is exactly the picture that was being drawn here for the Israelites as they were commanded to give of their best, their firstborn. No defects. Don't don't give God the lame. Nothing with spots or blemishes. But only the very best. Because this is indeed what is signified by the firstborn. So let's pray. We covered two chapters. That is good. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word. We thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. Your knowledge is perfect, Father, and I pray that it would serve us as we obediently uh, apply this to our lives, to your blessing and your glory. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us of the stewardship that we have with all that's been entrusted to us. I pray, Lord, that we would have attitudes that reflect gratitude toward you. Hearts of being thankful, being generous with our time, talent, and treasure. Not just toward the church, entrusting our finances to the church so that things could be taken care of and we could take care of local missions, activities and as well as ones in other lands but but also lord just the day-to-day -day counseling the day-to-day -day functions of the church lord that we would entrust that to you but being generous also with our time and talent our time that you've given to us i pray that we would be good stewards of that and also lord that we would be we would be good stewards of the giftings of the spirit lord that we would exercise them to the benefit of the body, to the building up of the brethren in a maturity in Christ so that we would not be a people who are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. I pray, Lord, that we would have your perspective and be generous with everything in our lives as you have been so generous with us. Thank you for your indescribable gift in Jesus Christ. May we reflect that in our response to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.